Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World and also editor of uh, The Fanatic, PW's uh, twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Okay, uh, More to Come fans, we've got a great treat uh in in some ways this is a uh this is a back in the day show but it's gonna um uh uh, the the back in the day content will be is is getting a big update uh and what i'm talking about is uh uh are i'm going to be talking with uh cecil castellucci and jim rug rug um uh authors co-authors of the plain jane's really a kind of a pioneering YA graphic novel originally published uh, uh by DC Comics back in the uh in uh, 2007 I believe uh, but it's going to be issued in a revised and updated hardcover deluxe hardcover edition uh with a wonderful forward which we'll talk about too by Mariko Tamaki Cecil and Jim thank you so much for being on more to come thank you thanks, thanks for Calvin, Calvin. All right. Now, I, I want to let our, our listeners know, uh, if you haven't heard of her already, Cecil uh, Castellucci is a, a, a both an acclaimed and a best-selling YA uh, uh, novelist. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to leave something out. I, I think you've written seven <laughs> or eight novels. It's probably more. Um, uh, <laughs> she, but also known increasingly as a comics and graphic novel writer, um, including for Plain Janes and other works. Jim Rugg, um, who I'm a, also a big fan of, uh, the author of, uh, um, Aphrodisiac, uh, Street Angel, I believe with Brian Maruka, uh, and I think there's, there's multiple Street Angel graphic novels, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, um, Street Angel is awesome. Uh, and you've got a great podcast. Is it KFAB done with a, another remarkable artist, Ed Pisker? How's that? Did I get that mostly right? That's mostly right. Yeah. Very good, Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can revisit this and 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 add or or subtract or correct any errors I made. But I I did want our listeners just to get a sense of of where you sit in the comics uh, firmament and um and the the works that you've done before this. But let's talk a little bit about Plain Jane's. Um. Uh, before we get started, let, uh, I mean, I want to go into the book and I want to go to a lot of publishing stuff. But first, uh, could you both two kind of share uh, describing for our listeners who may not be familiar with Plain Janes uh, something about the book? You want to, Cecil, you want to kick it off and then hand it over to Jim for part of the uh, recap? Yeah, sure. So the Plain Janes is the story of a girl named Jane Beckles who uh, is in a, um, a terrorist attack in fictional Metro City. And she saves a man who's a John Doe, and uh, she finds next to him a sketchbook, a blank sketchbook on the cover, which says Art Saves. And she takes that as a sort of missive um, to help her with her healing. Her parents, freaked out by the city, move to the fictional town of Kent Waters, and Jane, deciding that she needs to live her life differently, not be a popular mean girl, uh, decides <laughs> that she's going to start an all-girl guerrilla art group. And she finds the reject table at this school to be her cool table 
um, and she tries to recruit these three other girls named Jane to be in her art group. Yes, they do. And we're talking about, well, there's Main Jane, which I, I, which is Beckles, of course. Then there's Brain Jane, Theater Jane, Polly Jane, the athlete. So, uh, uh, yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, the main characters. Um, so Jim, tell us a little bit about how, uh, it's the original publication of Plain Jane. Yeah, the, the book started out at DC Comics, <clears throat> as you said, Calvin, and I think it was 2007, so we probably started on it in 2006, when DC was starting a lineup aimed at young adult readers. It was pretty far ahead of its time. You know, like mm-hmm. now that's a big demographic in comics, but back then, it, the, I, I've been looking at uh, comparable books from that era, and it feels like we were really at the front edge of that. So. Um, that's kind of the origins of, you know, when the book started to be published is it was almost a glimpse of the future and where we're at now. Mm-hmm. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and you were part of a, of this initiative that DC launched called the Minx line. Now, now, uh, it, it, the Minx line of YA focused graphic novels, it, I mean, it, I guess it only lasted about a year and a half, but in the course of that year and a half, published about 12 books with some really terrific authors. Uh, I think what uh, there's yeah, I mean yeah, all, go the, on, please. all the authors, all the authors that were on um, on Minx were just incredible. You know, I mean, you have Mariko Tamaki mm-hmm. and uh, Sophie Campbell and um, uh, Derek Kirk Kim yeah. and uh, Mike Carey and uh, oh gosh, who else? Joe Jones, Wood. Uh, Brian Wood. Uh, I mean, I'm blanking on on yeah. a million others, but I mean, it really was like kind of a who's who of comics now. I mean, everybody's gone on to do amazing, amazing work. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, and and uh, it's about 12 titles published. Now, once again, there are, it was shut down at about a year and a half later or something like that. Um, but we'll get into that. I mean, I, I'm, I want to talk a little bit more about Minx, but we, we can, we'll do that a little later. But I, I, I do want to jump into um, the evolution of Plain Janes because it's of all of the titles on the list, and, and they were like, as we're saying, there's some really terrific artists here. Plain Janes has had a kind of a pretty impressive shelf life. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Did, did it stay in print? And of course, there was a second volume, and you're featuring. A third volume in this new hardcover edition. So, tell can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, um, I mean, the the plane chains uh, was, you know, me and Jim had thought of it as four books, um, but originally it was just one book, and you know, we were lucky that we got to do a second book um, uh, to sort of finish off that first story, but. We thought of it as like four books because we wanted it to kind of be um, about the like once Jim and I got paired up together and talked and sort of fell artistically in love. Um, we um, <laughs> we came up with this idea of it being the sort of evolution of an artist, and yes. so we really wanted um, we really wanted to like finish that story. It did not stay in print after the Minx line um, mm-hmm. uh, folded. Um, book one was out of print, but book two was still, you know, there were still copies around. So I had a, a long conversation with Karen Berger uh, and Shelley Bond. And um, they Karen, were the editors. They were running. the founding uh, editors of the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shelley Bond was, but it was under the, the Vertigo umbrella. Right. And sure. so um, Karen and I 
had um, had talked at San Diego and, you know, I had told her that, you know, there were all these book twos out, but book one was no longer available. And so she fought really hard to get book one reprinted on Vertigo. So um, so it did give it a little bit more of a shelf life, um, you know, and mm-hmm. that was that was really great for the book because obviously you can't just have book two out and not book one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need book one. So that I think helped to extend the um the book a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um and we were really lucky that uh that we were able to do that. So so Jim, tell us a little bit about uh Plain Jane's two. Um the you know the the Plain Jane Cecil did a good job describing it's this artist arc. So mm-hmm. in the first book she starts out doing guerrilla art with her friend mm-hmm. and it kind of takes over this town. You know, a lot of the older people in town react like what's happening. Some of them are even afraid of this, you know, suddenly art is appearing overnight and who's doing this. And it's in this climate of like terror. So, you know, there's a lot of um the authority react kind of strongly against whoever this art gang is and eventually they they come out, you know, they through different uh reason they're exposed by the end of the first book and so the second book they're almost set up as this more legitimate art organization mm-hmm. um working through things with the town uh jane beckles who is you know the most serious of the artists mm-hmm. uh gets a grant to kind of like fund their activities and they get some support from the town that's kind of the second book is them becoming legitimate and going through the channels to be like public artists as opposed to um, street artists, I suppose, is more of what they're like mm-hmm. in that first book. In the second book, they're more public artists that are more or less sanctioned, um, even if some of the town council and, and local uh, police don't love them, it still becomes, <laughs> like, okay for them to, to make art, at least in certain areas, you know, um, between the grant and between the city council, they kind of find a space to exist. And so that's a lot of the second book is her I think, uh, you know, continuing to embrace that artist self, but also figuring out how does that work in the, you know, in the bigger world. Well, one, one thing about the book, um, uh, and, and I'd love to get you both to to respond to this, is that while, uh, I mean, first, I think it gives a, a really terrific, um, it's a terrific reuse of, uh, of, of groups like, say, here in New York, the Gorilla Girls, um, but, but recast mm-hmm. as these uh, really... Uh, ambitious teen teenagers looking to make art and uh, uh, particularly as um evoked by by Jane by main Jane um uh in addition you know it does what you know why graphic not why novels uh, often do in the the tensions of growing up the tensions with being almost an adult not quite an adult um commitment uh thinking about your future all of this is in there uh, alongside what I, I really think is one of the more thoughtful approaches to talking about contemporary art in in any kind of a book, frankly. Um, I, I think very often the portrayal of artists in books or movies, um, you know, they they use a different model. You know, they use the old model of, you know, artists in their studio or, you know, or plein air painting outdoors. But uh, this book really sort of, Use contemporary art strategies and uh, kids that were enamored of them. So I thought that made it really unusual and striking. So uh, did all of this come to play when you were both writing the script, um, Cecil, and and then working with Jim to do the visuals? Uh, how you thought about the kind of art 
uh, you would display and and argue about back and forth. I mean, I mean, I grew up uh, in New York City, um, and uh, you know, so I was constantly surrounded by art, and I've always been fascinated by street art, and you know, taking the subway down from the Bronx, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, where you know it would be completely covered with beautiful graffiti. Um, and, you know, when I was in high school, um, Keith Haring was doing his chalk drawings in uh, the New York City subways, and that just always amazed me. So I knew that I, for me, like the idea of art being a sort of surprising delight mm-hmm. was sort of a core thing for the story. I think at first uh, I came up with a bunch of the things, but I think as we went on, Jim and I kind of create the the art attacks together. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say that, Jim? So when we started this, it was probably like 2006 or so. And I think Cecil, Cecil introduced me to Banksy's art. And I think it's the first time I had heard of Banksy at that point. Um, you know, I was coming out of like school in the nineties and comics and art were very separate. So mm-hmm. um, before comics were really accepted by art, they were rejected by art. And as a result, I rejected art back. And whenever we started working on this book, and that's changed, I think, a lot in the last 10 or 15 years, where now we have art classes that teach comics, and it, it feels like there aren't the barriers that used to exist. But once I started working on this book, then I start looking more at street art and public art and, you know, things like Exit, exit Through the Gift Shop comes out, you know, and, sure. and there just seems to be like, it's everywhere I look. You know, um, I always joke with drawing, when you identify something you want to get better at, you just see it everywhere. You know, like when you want to learn to draw hands better, that's mm. all you see or how everyone draws hands. And it became that way with, with street art and public art. And so as we went on, it became just sharing things that we would see and be like, hey, look, this is neat. Why don't we have them do something like this? And a lot of passing back and forth the stuff that we were seeing and that was impressing us. And it became very collaborative, at least, you know, some parts of, of that of like, hey, this is a good idea, or I think this would look good on the page. Um, you know, there, there were a few instances of that, and it's, it's part of what really makes has made this such a great pleasure working with Cecil is that give and take of like, I have an idea, here's half of it, or how does this work, or what if we did this, you know, this might work better graphically, and that kind of give and take has really made making the plain Jane a pleasure. So I don't think it always works that way with writer and artist, mm-hmm. but this has been a you know like that's been a, a very organic piece of making this book for me. Yeah, if yeah, I could jump I in, if I could just jump in for a second, because I just thought the point you made was really important, uh, particularly about uh, uh, as someone myself, I actually have a background in, in uh, gallery art, and 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 after my involvement in, uh, in in writing about comics, I really did uh, find that there was, uh, as you put it, Jim, that you know the the uh, gallery art world had rejected comics, and really uh, there seemed to be really this latent animosity. Um, from the comics world toward gallery art, for want of a better way to describe it. Um, uh, but that has changed. In fact, the, the, the contemporary art world has kind of embraced, uh, comics as it has embraced vast stretches of pop culture. Uh, so that was one of the other great things about Plain Janes was that we really saw a sense of how artists, I think, thought about art at the moment. And you guys incorporated it in, into this wonderful, uh, you know, teen novel. Um, yeah, and I, I'm glad that it's grown, too. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that um, as the Janes grow in their sort of appreciation and making of art, Jim and I have grown in our, you know, appreciation and making of art as well. And I think that there's a nice 
sort of synchronicity there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you see a complete embrace, really, in many ways, of, of the comics world, uh, and in particular the indie comics world, um, by the, uh, you know, by the, the art world. Um, um, uh, but you know what? I also let, I want to segue very quickly to the, the new section, uh, the new uh, episode, if I, if I want of a better way to describe it, of Plain Jane's, Plain Jane's Attack Back. Now this is the third and, um, apparently unpublished, uh, section of the book that will be included in this new hardcover edition. So could you tell our listeners about, about that? Because I think in this section, uh, the dialogue between the characters on how art impacts them and how art uh, is thought about and dealt with in today's world is, is I think it's particularly on point. <laughs> Thanks. Well, that goes back to like what Jim and I had always sort of planned once we got put together about having the story be about um, the sort of life cycle of an artist. The first part being amateur, you know, and sort mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, sort of discovery of art. Second part being, uh, formal education and, uh, you know, sort of acceptance into the, I don't know if you want to say mainstream or, you know, um, sanctioned, sanctioned mm-hmm, art, sure. you know, uh, uh, granted or whatever. And then the third part being the challenge to the artist um, about uh, sort of tearing down the walls and the idea of punk rock and sort of, um, you know, uh, sort of nihilistic art in mm-hmm. some sort of way where you have to reinvent yourself in some way to stay relevant and to grow as an artist. And so um, that was sort of what, what we had always planned. We had planned it in four books. Um, when we um, when we got the rights back from D.C. and Little Brown, thank you so much, Little Brown, for, um, you know, for publishing the book, um, we decided to compress the two ideas that we had for book three and four into a new book three, which is Jane Attack, Jane's uh-huh. Attack Back. And the, and the, the and like, as I was saying that the, in in that this third installment that the, there is a great uh, do you introduce a new character who who Pain, kind, yeah. yes Pain who kind of embody um, who kind of embodies this uh, sense of art as this unrepressed uh, unsanctioned um, you know manif- manifest manifestation so uh, and the discussions between the two of them. Um, is really terrific. Yeah. I love it. It's some of my favorite material. (laughs) Yeah. I I think Cecil nailed that third book. It's phenomenal. As a reader, as a fan, I was so happy with what you wrote, Cecil. Oh, thanks. I was, I likewise, I mean, and I couldn't have done it without you, Tim. I mean, (laughs) all those conversations that we had, I mean, basically it's just going to be a Jim and Cecil love fest here. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, all those conversations that we had about what does it mean to be an artist, obviously, yes. you know, totally went in there. And, um, I mean, Calvin, you should see the emails that Jim and I used to write about this. I mean, <laughs> you know, like these long sort of essays and discourses that we had about the meaning of art, the meaning of what it means to be an artist and what it means to constantly be challenging yourself and to challenge the idea of it. So it really, it really was, um, a, you know, a, a, a sort of calling to, to do this, but I have to say that one thing is that I feel like in the last 12 years since the first books came out, there's sort of been this urgency that I think Jim and I both felt about, you know, art as activism and yes. art as mm-hmm. really saying things. And, um, I mean, I think the Janes were always kind of trying to do that 
because I think Jane was trying to, Jane Beckles, main Jane was trying to sort of, um, you know, uh, he, you know, soothe herself or heal herself or deal, cope with her trauma um, by making an attack be something beautiful rather than. the plain James is more relevant today than it was when it came out in 2007. You know, we live in a different kind of world. And I think that a lot of people are sort of struggling to figure out how do you, how do you speak up? How do you say stuff? And I feel like the art and activism was always there, but um, it felt very important writing this book at this time sort of gave it a new gravitas, I think. And I think Jim felt the same way in, in the way that he did the art. Well, I, you know, I mentioned, uh, uh, yeah, the references for me to the Gorilla Girls, obviously, whose whose work was uh, – for those who don't know, the Gorilla Girls was – they were a, a, a group of anonymous women artists that put together all kinds of conceptual pro, uh, uh, projects uh, focusing on um, the misogyny uh, and the oppression and the, the exclusion of women artists. Um, but at the same time, in the book, you also have a whole range of delightful projects that do uh, that focus on a whole variety of things. So it really is, um, you know, an interesting look at how you think about art today. Uh, but you know, I want to also get you to talk a little bit. You mentioned Little Brown. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the book came to be uh, brought all together? You got your rights back, which if that in itself is uh, impressive. Uh, can you tell us about and who was involved? Uh, who's your editor at, at Little Brown? Jim, are you our still current there? editor? Yeah, I'm still okay. here. Our current <laughs> editor is uh, Andrea Colvin. She sure. came on very late in the process. Our first editor was uh, Pam Gruber, who really worked with us through the majority of the book, and was they've both been outstanding. But Pam Gruber was a uh, um, was the editor that we worked with initially, and, and pretty much through um, getting the book together and getting this third book done mm-hmm. and then andrea colvin came on kind of right at the end of the process mm-hmm. and they, and for those who don't know andrea colvin was uh she's a veteran uh ya uh, editor um originally at andrews mcmill was at lion forge uh helped uh, basically set up their uh ya and middle grade uh graphic uh publishing program and she has since moved on to um little brown books for young readers yeah, I mean, I think um you, you know, the Pam uh is a is a novel editor and I think that that actually was very helpful because she really understands story mm-hmm. so well and um and so uh so she really kind of like, you know, uh uh was a a great taskmaster in in that sense of really making sure that um that I was sort of on the you know, on the, uh, very clear in what, what I was trying to write. Um, and that was, I really appreciated that. I mean, I'd love to do a novel with her one day. I mean, she's <laughs> just such a, a great editor. Um, the, the, the getting the rights back from DC, that took, it took about five years. I think wow. Jim and I had started talking like, um, you know, a, a bunch of years ago, um, at San Diego. And, um, you know, about trying to get the rights back. And, um, and I just, I just kept begging uh-huh. and begging and begging and begging. And, um, and finally, you know, it, it happened. And I'm so grateful to DC for letting us have it back. I think they, they sort of realized that we sort of needed to like, you know, go on and do something about it and that, 
um, you know, I mean, we got the rights back before they had their young adult line. So their new young adult initiative. So there really was nowhere, there was no place for us at DC at right. that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Kirby Kim, my agent, um, helped me and Jim to, um, you know, uh, to find a new home. And we were so grateful for Little Brown. Um, Jim and I really were looking forward to doing it with a, a book publishing company because mm-hmm. we felt like um, that that would be a good, uh, a different, a good different home for it mm-hmm. uh, from our experience at sort of one of the big, at the, you know, one of the big twos. Well, it's very interesting uh, because the the original launch of Plain Janes and the other books on the Minx list this was kind of DC's breakout effort, and, and and I always think that they should be congratulated for this, to refocus on the book trade uh, at a time when the book trade was uh, showing itself to be an important uh, um, platform for creating – for reaching readers of all kinds. I mean uh, mm-hmm. comic shops, no knock on comic shops, but uh, trade bookstores are where the readers were, and this was an effort by DC, an early one. Um, now they yeah. shut it down like a year or so later. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to create any problems here, but, uh, did you yeah. guys have any notion about why it was shut down? Was it, was, were you told from the very beginning that, oh, this is just an experiment. We want to try some things or were you surprised well, when they shut it down? I think yeah, you I have shocked. to remember. Oh, really? Well, I mean, I was shocked, I guess at first, but I feel like you also have to remember that that was like 2008 when the mm-hmm. recession hit, you know, That's true. and like, I mean, and, you know, this sort of happened, I think in publishing, they refer to it as Black October because like literally everybody sort of shut down their in, the, like small imprints and, um, you know, people were fired all over the place and like, you know, everybody sort of tightened their belt. So, I mean, it was part, I mean, I think that was sort of the major one of the major things. And then the second thing was that there was no infrastructure at the time for young adult graphic novels yeah. mm-hmm. in the marketplace. Yeah. You know, Barnes and Noble yeah, and I, I remember there were issues like even how to shelf these books yeah. in yeah. bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was strange. And, you know, the reason I say I was shocked is we were working on book three at the time mm-hmm. and I would turn pages in every week and get notes and, and feedback. Sure. Yeah. And so, like, I just turned them in, you know, it was a matter of course, you know, I don't know how many weeks I was into it, but it was a standard practice. And I turned them in yeah. and then got an email back that was basically the line been canceled. Mm-hmm. And um, we were working with Shelley Bond was, was kind of the direct editor, at least who I was working, you know, who we were working with with the books. And I always think, like, it was a genius vision, yeah. you know, putting this line together at that time. As, as you say, Calvin, you know, like, Seeing that there's a, there's potential audience out there, and how do we reach them through bookstores and stuff? Mm, yes, and I think it was a really, you know, a, a great vision that, that she had, and what she put together was strong. But as Cecil said, like that, the infrastructure wasn't there yet. Like we, I don't know if anybody knew exactly how to sell this stuff. You know, well, it was a great idea. It was very forward thinking, but you know, even in the bookstores, we had trouble figuring out. Like, I was looking through a thread recently, and. There, you know, it was on the beat, and it, and it was from the original launch. And there are all these comments, and they're talking about like this is shelf in, you know, next to manga in my bookstore, or this is shelf on in the YA prose section mm-hmm. in my bookstore. And it was just this sense of confusion yeah. by everybody. Um, you know, it was it was a weird time. It was just 
a little ahead of its time, I think. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And I should point out one thing, and you mentioned it. I mean, one of the things, uh, uh, I think uh, Cecil's comment that the, the recession hit at that point, which did have a tremendous right. impact uh, on trade book publishing and certainly on comics uh, and graphic novel publishing as well. But also at the time, actually, if there was any category that was doing well and uh, comics category, it was manga, which was really kind of mm-hmm. reached its zenith about that time and really had dominated uh, book format comics into the book trade. Um, but that was also uh, the undoing of manga, too, which kind of spiraled downward right. until we, now it's in a the, it, you know, the manga has rebounded in a big way as you know, has, you know, uh, publishing in general. So these are all important to remember, I guess, about that time when they they shut it down, because they also put quite a bit of money into marketing and promoting the Minx line. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a sort of a sort of vortex of, uh, of, of you know, bad time, not bad timing, um, uh, the, not the right timing and also, you know, sort of outside forces <laughs> that, like, you know, couldn't help it. But I mean, you know, when you think about it, I mean, I just once again want to really give a shout out to Shelley Bond because she really curated a really great list of fantastic creators yeah. who've gone on, you know, the majority of them gone on to do extraordinary things in comics. Um, you know, kids comics and, and her vision, it did, it's here. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're, we, we made it, you know, and, and I think that that's, um, that's super incredible. And I, I know for myself, I just feel so, proud to have been a part of it and so proud to have um you know to have made the plain james and to you know to have sort of um be one of the one of the books that helped to wedge that door open for comics yeah without a doubt it's it's a real marker uh on the on the era so yeah so it's a different world now um uh and in fact i mean dc is actually seeing a lot of success with its newly launched uh middle grade and ya um, graphic novel lines, although they went through a, it seemed like crazy rename, renaming, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, the aforementioned Mariko Tamaki has a wonderful book about Harley Quinn out. Uh, there's more coming every day. Um, uh, I did a piece with Lauren Miracle, who's done a new YA Catwoman, uh, that seems to be really blowing up. So you guys really did, uh, you, you know, you were out in front of, of the world of comics that we see today, which is really basically publishing is being driven. It's, but the YA and the middle grade graphic novel category uh, is probably driving uh, growth in comics across the board now. Well, it feels really exciting. Yeah. So look, um, look, this has been really great to talk to you. I'd love you both very quickly. Um, uh, Cecil, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Girl on Film, your, your graphic memoir. Sure. Um, yeah, Girl on Film. Um, it just came out and it's on Boom. And um, it's a memoir of me growing up in New York City and wanting to be the world's greatest filmmaker and completely failing. Um, and going to the high school performing arts and intersecting with um, all these people who became part of pop culture like Jennifer Aniston or Andy Warhol. Uh, my godfather, Jacques Dombois, who's a famous ballet dancer. Um, and everything that I did you know, to become a filmmaker, uh, but, uh, you know, the way that art works in that you think you're going in one direction and you end up becoming something totally different than what you set off to do. Um, and uh, a quarter of the book, um, because it's a memoir, I realized that I was sort of 
misremembering a lot of the things that had happened when I talked to friends or I'd look at my journals and the differences between the way that I tell the story now. My dad happens to be a, a world-renowned uh, neurobiologist, retired now. <laughs> That's and convenient. His specialty, <laughs> yeah, his specialty was the um, mechanics of memory, the how we store long and short-term memories. And so part of the book is me interviewing my dad and asking him why I'm misremembering everything in my own life. And so my dad sort of uh, takes us through a, uh, a sort of neuroscience lesson about memory and why it's important that we remember and we forget and the sort of mechanics of that. So it's, it's really fun. And it was um, four artists who worked with me, John Berg, Vicky Lita, V. Gagnon, and uh, Melissa Duffy. And it, it was a really amazing experience. All right. Great. And Jim, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, uh, well, well, Street Angel certainly, maybe even Aphrodisiac. Can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about it? Because, uh, you know, there's, there's more great Jim, <laughs> Jim Rugg works out there. Yeah, Street Angel, Street Angel was my first published work way mm-hmm. back in like 2003, 2004. And it is the book that led me to Shelley Bond and to The Plain James. Uh-huh. And it's funny, after 10 years, I started doing New Street Angel with Image Comics. Um, and then, of course, Plain James has followed that again. So it's kind of a weird synchronicity. But um, Street Angel is a homeless ninja on a skateboard. And it's a superhero comic that maybe doesn't look exactly like other superhero comics, which is kind of the, the genesis behind Street Angel. I was tired of seeing books that all look the same. And so I tried to create a superhero that was kind of the opposite of Batman and Spider-Man. And that became Street Angel. And Image has just put out a collection of all of the full color street angel comic that I've done with them uh, just came out in November. So street oh, angel deadliest girl alive. You know, if you want more of my comics, that's the place to go. Great. And it's available now, you know, it just came out. All right. And you want to, want to mention aphrodisiac as well? Uh, sure. Uh, aphrodisiac was my first comic book in color. And it's, it's inspired by black exploitation films of the 1970s, as well as kind of the weird superhero comics of the 1970s. Uh, Marvel, uh, to truncate their history, they were suddenly allowed to publish as many comics as they could after getting out of their distribution deal, and they were super popular. And so they just started publishing some of the weirdest comics, (laughs) things like Son of Satan, uh, Ghost Rider, you know, like all of these books that you would not expect to see aimed at kids next to Spider-Man on the spinner rack. And I started reading those and just kind of loved the weirdness of them, and that's the big inspiration behind aphrodisiac which is a character that's supposed to have like his history is in the 70s and 80s and he's sort of this superhero character uh again in the black exploitation inspired sure, by black yeah. exploitation like shaft and superfly and uh and allowing me to indulge in a lot of my graphic design and how to color comics again it was the first color work that i worked on um you know unlike uh the standard marvel dc process of having a team do their books I do everything myself. So whenever I went from making black and white comics to making color comics, um, I took that on also, but had to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, both mm-hmm. Aphrodisiac and Street Angel, they share the same universe. So I always tell people if they like one, check out the other one. And uh, they're both co-written with Brian Maruka, who has been my writing partner for almost 20 years. Great. All right. Well, look. Is, it, is it okay if I, oh, is it okay yeah. if I mention female, is it okay if I mention female juries? Because yeah, yes, please. Because that actually just got co- it just got collected um, uh, and came out like three weeks ago. Um, so Female Furies, uh, me and Adriana Mello, we did uh, mm-hmm. um, a six-issue miniseries on DC, which is um, 
set in the fourth world. And it's, um, it's you know, Big Barda and uh, Granny oh, Business and Dark Side. And it's the Me Too movement on Apocalypse. Wow, so okay. So it's the feminist awakening of um, Big Barda um, and the female furies. Uh, on Apocalypse. So this is the, and that this just is, came out as a trade publication. This is the, these are the, the, the Jack Kirby creations um, that yeah. were at DC. Yeah, Fourth World. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this okay. Yeah. This is awesome. Um, look, this is terrific to talk to you. Um, uh, and for those of you just turning in, I've been talking with Cecil Castellucci uh, and Jim Rugg, uh, the creative team behind the Plain Janes, um, really a pioneering white graphic novel. Um, uh, in a new hardcover edition with previously unpublished material released by uh, a little book, uh, Books for Young Readers. Um, what's it's out this month, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, that comes a, out tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. But, yeah. in, books, in comic book stores, yep. Yeah, and uh, with a forward by um, Mariko Tamaki, who will be launching her own, what, uh, uh, graphic uh, book imprint at Abrams Comics Arts pretty soon. So, uh-huh. Um, yep. Uh, once again, you guys have, uh, you know, you're, you've, you've been a platform for, for comics, uh, and really thoughtful comics, and it's an absolute pleasure to talk with both of you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much, Calvin. All right. Terrific.